that God gave to men long ago To save us from sin and defeat every foe Is born unto us in a poor cattle stall He breathes as a baby, yet reigns Lord of all everybody, welcome to Christ Community Chapel. Really, really glad that you're here. Uh, if you are worshiping at uh, our Aurora campus or Restoration Chapel or in East Hall or just tuning in, uh, welcome. All right, I get to start with some just because stories. If you are new to CCC, uh, we have a tradition uh, in the month of December. Our goal is to blanket Northeast Ohio with 10,000 acts of kindness and generosity. We feel like if each one of us does two or three things, we're able to achieve that goal, and this whole area will feel differently because of what we're able to do during the month of December. And every time we do some kind of act of kindness or generosity, we try to give the person this card, and it says, just because. And on the back, there's a website where people can tell their story of what it felt like to be gifted or to have an act of kindness given to them. And then I get to share some of those stories heading into Christmas each weekend. So the hard thing now is as the stories come in for me to choose which ones to share and how many to share because I always want to share more. I love these stories. So I'm going to give you three. They're going to be quick. They're going to be short. Here. It's the first one. This says, I just wanted to say thank you to the person who dropped off the box of protein bars at our department. We really appreciate your kindness. That's from the Hudson Police Department. And I thought, what a great idea. This is the first time that I know of that somebody thought of the Hudson Police Department and dropped something off there, which is great. All right, next one. This is from Donna in Cauga Falls. She says, my 21-year-old daughter and I were in the drive-through of a Chick-fil-A this evening. When it came time to pay, we were told that someone before us had paid for her meal. My three, then teenagers, and I lost their dad, my husband, suddenly eight years ago, right around Thanksgiving. We felt encouraged and blessed this evening. Thank you. Uh, this, and then this one. This is from a college student named Kenzie Myers. She says, uh, I've been attending CCC for a few years now, and I've grown to love this church and call it home. After the Saturday service was over, I picked up a few of the cards on my way out because this is one of my favorite things to do every holiday season. Coming back to OU, everyone has been getting ready for finals this coming week. And last night I had an idea. I went to CVS and bought some Santa-themed candy bars, and I put the Just Because cards by where they would need to open the candy bar. And I went around to OU's library, coffee shops, Main Street, to small food places like Jimmy John's, and I gave people and staff the candy bars and told them, uh, things like have a great night or good luck on finals. The thing I noticed is how much joy and surprise these people had when all I did was give them a candy bar and seeing that made me really happy too. I, I wanted to share this with you because it's really a great feeling to share God's love and maybe make someone's night and show them that someone cares. What an awesome experience. How cool is that, that our uh, college students are doing stuff like that? So grab some cards, uh, have fun. And let's uh, do that. 10,000 acts of kindness. All right. 
We are in our Christmas series, we're calling it The Most Famous Story. The Most Famous Story. And there are two dangers uh, that we have that can happen that will rob us of the power of Christmas. Because the story of Christmas is that the God of the universe came in human flesh as a baby for you and for me. And it's such an amazing story, right, that the God of the universe would do something so incredible. It's a story that's a, the rescue operation that we talked about last week. It's a story of power and glory and love and grace. There is no story quite like it. And like most things about Christianity, it seems like it is almost too good to be true. If you are here and you are not yet a Christian, I understand if that's the way you feel. If the thing that is keeping you from becoming a Christian is that it seems like it's too good to be true. But if what's keeping you from becoming a Christian is that you feel like it's a set of rules to obey or that it will rob you or keep you from the joy and the life that you really want, then you don't understand it yet. Keep coming. Because this is the story of a God, the one true God who loved you so much, he did something that is almost incomprehensible. He condescended. He came for you as one of us. And that is astounding. All right, I told you there are two dangers. The first danger that can rob us of the power of Christmas is familiarity. How familiar the story is. We have heard it over and over again. There were in the same region shepherds abiding in the field, keeping watch over their flock by night. And lo, an angel of the Lord appeared among them, and the glory of the Lord shone round about them, and they were terribly frightened. And the angel said to them, Fear not, for behold, I bring unto you good tidings of great joy, which will be for all people. Right? That's what Linus recites in the Charlie Brown Christmas special. We have heard it so many times that the Christmas story for our culture can be a little bit like living next to a train. You know, I live close enough to the train tracks here in Hudson that the sound of the trains going by actually reaches my house, but I don't hear it anymore, ever. Right? There are people we'll have from out of town that come and visit us, and they'll say, oh, there's a train nearby, and I'll say, what? Really? Right? That's the way it can be in our culture. We've heard the story so many times the sound of Christmas will reach us this month, but we won't really hear it. Can you imagine being in a culture that has never heard this story? And somebody coming up to you and saying, oh, I got to tell you this story. The God, of the, the God who created you, who created all that is, has come for you. And he came as one of us. You would just go, what? That's crazy, right? So that's the first thing that can rob us of the powers is just so familiar that we hear it over and over again, but we have stopped listening. The second thing that can rob us of the powers is just the sentimentality of Christmas. Right? It's just so warm and cozy. Chestnuts roasting over an open fire. We wrap presents, we decorate trees, we have Christmas carols playing in the background, and it is just so warm that we miss the power. All right, this message 
is intended to shake us out of our Christmas sleepiness and to remind us of the white hot core of Christmas. The white hot core of Christmas. All right, if you have your Bibles, turn to Colossians chapter 1. I'm going to read verses 15 through 20. This is Colossians chapter 1, verse 15. This is what it says. He, this is talking of Jesus, is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For by him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through him and for him. And he is before all things. In him all things hold together. And he's the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead. That in everything he might be preeminent. For in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell. And through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. Wow. This is God's word. And it is amazing. All right, two points. All right, just two points. That's all. First, who Jesus is. And second, what it means. Who Jesus is. And then two, what it means that he came. First, who Jesus is. These verses in Colossians give the most complete and the most powerful description of Jesus in the whole Bible. What's interesting is that we sing about this at Christmas, but if you're like me, it just kind of flows right by. Veiled in, veiled in flesh, the Godhead see. Hail the incarnate deity. That's Colossians 1, 15 through 20. Jesus is fully God. Full stop. Just let that hang there. Let that soak in. Jesus is fully God. In the Old Testament, whenever God would become visible, it was accompanied by something, something the, the ancient Jews just called the fire. Shekinah was the word. It meant glory. And it was always kind of dangerous whenever it would happen. There was always a danger with it. When the Shekinah glory of God, when the fire of God rested on Mount Sinai, right? It would, it would wrap its way around the top of the mountain in fire and smoke. So much so that the Jews were told, don't go near the mountain. Don't, don't touch the mountain. If you touch the mountain, you're going to die, right? Because the very glory of God would, would soak down the mountain in the very soil so that if somebody touched the mountain, they would die. What does that even mean? What does it mean to get so close to a mountain? When does a mountain start, right? There's a gradual slope up to a mountain. It's not like a wall. How close could you get to the mountain? When you started to walk towards Mount Sinai, the mountains start where the dead bodies were. We're seeing, oh, that's where it starts, right? When Moses saw the, bur the, the bush that was on fire and was not consumed, and he started to walk toward it, there was a voice, the voice of God said, stop. Don't come any closer. Take off your sandals for the ground, the very ground you were standing on, the dirt you were standing on is holy because I am here. I wanted to give you an image uh, that might 
come into your mind uh, this holiday season, all the way till Christmas. I want it to come into your mind every time you hear a Christmas carol, every time you see a manger scene or you have a little like crash set up like this. Every time you look at it, I want this to come into your mind to kind of jar you out of the sentimentality and the familiarity of the story. All right, go ahead and show the video. This is a volcano. It's called the Maruna Volcano in Ambrin Island. You can see there is a person that's close to this volcano. That person is dressed in like a spacesuit. It's the closest any human being ever got to a volcano. He's within 20 or 30 meters of that volcano. And that what's on fire is not, it's not wood and it's not leaves. It's actually rocks that are being that are just melting, they're catching on fire. It is boiling rock right there. And the reason I wanted that image in your head is because the Marino volcano is like a birthday candle compared to the Shekinah glory of God. And what Colossians says is that Jesus is fully God. And the word that's used there is pleroma, which is the Greek word that means all, all God. You know, it's so easy when you, when you talk about the Trinity to not really understand it because it's such a mystery. But we tend to think, and maybe you're like me, I tend to think of, the, of God as like a, a pie. And there are three slices of that pie. And Jesus is fully God because he's made of all God's stuff. But he's one third of the slice. And the that God the Father is also one-third of the slice of God. He's fully God, too, because he's made of all God's stuff. And the three slices together make all of God, but that's not what pleroma means. Pleroma means that Jesus is not just a slice of God, and he's not just God because he's full of God's stuff. Pleroma means that all God is, was, is, ever has, ever will be, Jesus is Jesus. Everything that Jesus is, is all that God was, is, ever will be. That he is the fullness of God, which means the Shekinah, the fire of God that burned on Mount Sinai, Jesus. That means that everything, every time that there was a danger involved in coming close to God... It was Jesus. It says that Jesus made all things visible and invisible, thrones and, and dominions, rulers and authorities, all Jesus. No wonder the shepherds quaked when the glory of the Lord shone around them. No wonder when, when Jesus in Matthew 17 took Peter, James, and John up onto a mountain and he had let just a little of his glory leak out. They called it the Mount of Transfiguration. No wonder Peter, James, and John hit their faces and thought they were going to die because Jesus was fully God. I need you to be thinking of that whenever you see because that means that this Jesus who created all things, visible and invisible, thrones and dominions, rulers and authorities, who created 
black holes in matter and time and energy, who holds the universe in his hand, who Isaiah says that the nations are like dust to him. That's the Jesus we will be reading about when we pick up our Bibles on Christmas morning before we open presents and we read Luke 2, where it says, in those days, a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be taxed. Do not miss the white hot core of Christmas that Jesus, who is fully God, has come. That's the first point. The second point is, the, is what it means, what it means that Jesus has come, that this one who is fully God has come for you. Well, it means three things. It means a, a new intimacy. It means a new authority, and it means a new adventure. A new intimacy, a new authority, and a new adventure. First, a new intimacy. Verse 19 and 20, it says, For in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of the cross. All right, that word reconcile, that's a word of intimacy. It means to bring someone near who was far away. And let me try to uh, describe it in a way that may be a little bit different, but it's the best I can do. Uh, we have laws in our country, and the bedrock of the law of the land, the, the foundation of the laws that we have, are that human beings have a right to be treated a certain way. And when you treat another human being as less than what they deserve, you're usually breaking a law. If I come into your home and hold you up at gunpoint and rob you of your stuff, what I'm doing is treating you as less than what you deserve as a human being. If later on I get caught and arrested and I say, oh, I'm sorry, that's not enough. What will happen is I will go to jail to pay a debt before I can be brought back into society and be reconciled to society. That's what reconciliation means. And what Scripture says is that you and I need to be reconciled to God. And the question is, why do you need to be reconciled to God? And the answer is, because every time you have treated God as less than what he deserves to be treated, you have done what the Bible calls sin. Every time I have said to God, listen, I know you say this, but I'm going to do this, then I treat him as less than God. And, at, and when we do that, we create a debt that needs to be paid. And there are only two ways to pay that debt. Either you pay it or God pays it. And God sends Jesus to pay that debt so that you can be reconciled to him through Jesus' blood on the cross, through his death and resurrection. Jesus does for you what you could not do for yourself and in doing so, reconciles you to himself in relationship. If you're here and you are not yet a Christian, that's why here at Christ Community Chapel, we talk about having a relationship with God. This is why. This is why Christianity is not a set of rules to obey. It's a relationship to enjoy and to explore. 
And it is because of this new intimacy, because God of very God in the person of Jesus has come and has paid the debt that was required for you to be reconciled to him. All right, that's the first thing, a new intimacy. The second thing is a new authority, a new authority. If Jesus is really God of very God, if he is Shekinah, that glory, like that volcano just boiling with power and energy and glory, then when he comes into your life, he doesn't come into your life as a supplement to your life. He doesn't come as a personal assistant to help you through some rough patches, but otherwise leave you alone, right? He comes in with this new authority. In fact, this is what it it says uh, in verse 17 and 18. It says, he is before all things, and in him all things hold together. He's the head of the body of the church, the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in everything he might be preeminent. That in everything he might be preeminent. That word preeminent means that in everything he might be supreme. He might rule. Which means this, that when Jesus comes into my life, there isn't a single area of my life where I hold back from him, where I say to him, thank you for all that you've done, but this area of my life, I'm going to be supreme. In this area, in my sexuality, or in my money, or in my vocation, or in my family, this area, I rule, and you don't. I always find it interesting when I'm talking to somebody about becoming a Christian, and uh, they want to ask me a lifestyle question. And they'll say to me, uh, listen, let me ask you this. So before, we, before I talk about giving my life to Jesus, um, if, if I become a Christian, does that mean I can't have sex until I get married? Or does that mean that I have to handle my money differently? Or does that mean I have to forgive people who have really hurt me? What does it mean if I'm going to give my life to Jesus? And the reason I find that interesting, it's like, uh, to me, it strikes me as somebody who is terminally ill. Like if you were terminal and you knew you were dying, And you go to see your doctor, and your doctor says, hey, I have good news. I found a cure. This will cure you of your disease. You will not die. You will actually live. In fact, it will make you healthier than you've ever been, even when you thought you were healthy. And you say to your doctor, oh, man, that sounds great, but I have a question. If I take that medicine, can I still eat some chocolate? And if you you just want to go, what, are you crazy? We're offering you life instead of death joy instead of suffering, and you're questioning about whether you can eat chocolate or not. That's what it means when we say, listen, this is what you need to know. There isn't a single area of your life where it would be a mistake for Jesus to have preeminence. Not if he is who we say he is. He is who Colossians says he is. If he is God of very God, who has come for you, then there is not a single area of your life where it would be a mistake for him to have preeminence. This is the way C.S. Lewis describes it in Mere Christianity. He says, imagine yourself as a living house. God comes in to rebuild that house. At first, perhaps you can understand what he's doing. He's getting the drains right and stopping the leaks to the roof and so on. You knew that those jobs needed doing, and so you're not surprised. But presently, he starts knocking the house about in a way that hurts abominably and does not seem to make any sense. What on earth is he up to? The explanation is that he's building quite a different house from the one you thought of 
throwing out a new wing here, putting on an extra floor there, running up towers, making courtyards. You thought you were being made into a decent little cottage, but he's building a palace. He intends to come and live in it himself. Christmas is about Jesus being God of very God coming for you. And when he comes for you, does something that you cannot do for yourself. It creates a new intimacy because he restores the relationship that you were made to have with him. He comes as a new authority that he might have preeminence in every single area of your life. And the more you give him, the more you will understand what it means to be connected in such a way to God that you have life and joy and love because he is the source of it all. And then finally, it brings me to a new adventure, a new adventure. You know, when it says in verse 20 that he has come to reconcile all things to himself in heaven and on earth, uh, there's a great word that uh, Jesus uses in Matthew chapter 19 and then Paul uses in Titus 3. It's a word that I've uh, really gotten to love. It's a Greek word, palingenesia. Palingenesia means the restoration of all things, the renewal of all things. When Jesus comes in Bethlehem, it is the beginning of this reversal of the decay and the destruction that has happened on this, in this world. It is the beginning of the renewal and the restoration of all things, palingenesia. It's when things become the way they were intended to be when God created it. I don't know if you've ever had a bone knocked out of joint. Uh, when I was in college playing basketball, uh, the basketball hit my hand in such a way that it knocked one of my fingers out of joint. Terribly painful. Right? I'll walk over to the bench and have somebody grab my finger and pull it back into joint, and that's what gave it relief. There's something that's wrong with our world. The reason there is so much pain and so much agony in our world is that everything seems like it's out of joint. Palingenesia is Jesus' plan to put all things back into joint, to put all things right again. So there will be, instead of pain, there will be joy. Instead of suffering, there will be relief. And what's interesting is that Jesus invites us to participate in that restoration, in the putting things back into joint. What about a week and a half ago, Thanksgiving, our church decided to give Thanksgiving baskets, right? 1,653 baskets of food that we delivered to 1,653 homes. Why? Why do we do that? We did it because there is something, when, when a family doesn't have enough to even have a Thanksgiving feast once a year, that means that something is out of joint in our world. And so what our church did is for 1,653 homes for a day, we put things back into joint. We participated with Jesus to tell them this is why Jesus came. Jesus came to restore all things, to make things right again. It's what our church is all about all the time. From uh, addiction recovery ministries to re-engage in our marriage ministry, 
Even the just because cards. We're going around to just to different people and even going through a Chick-fil-A drive-through. We have a woman who eight years ago lost her husband and when she goes through a Chick-fil-A and has somebody say, I paid for your sandwich for you for, something, for some reason deep down inside of her, she feels like what has been out of joint, there's hope that someday, someday, the pain will be met with relief and the sorrow will be swallowed up in joy. Listen, we head into Christmas. I love Christmas. You probably do too. Right? It's, a, it's a time of, of family and love and joy, or at least it should be. But there's a danger with Christmas. There's a danger to be caught up in a, in a story that's so familiar that we, we don't hear it anymore. There's a danger of the sentimentality kind of drowning out the power and the white-hot core of Christmas. But the core of Christmas is this. Jesus is fully God. The glory of God, the fire of God, come for you to reconcile you, to do something for you that you could not do for yourself. And he did it through his death and resurrection. He comes with a new authority that he might have preeminence. He wants preeminence inside of you. And it's never a mistake, no matter what area of your life, to let Jesus have that preeminence. And then he invites you on an adventure with him. And every time you participate with Jesus in this world, you're participating in the palingenesia, the restoration of all things, when this God of very God who came as a baby in Bethlehem reconciles all things to himself in heaven and on earth. That's what Christmas is all about. Let's not miss it this year. Let's not miss the power of having a Savior who came for us. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we uh, come to you. And uh, for whatever reason, I just uh, love that image of the volcano because uh, when I think of you as a baby, I forget that you are God of very God. That the very glory, the fire of God burns through you, in you. That there is glory to be seen. I pray that this year as we head towards Christmas, as we hear the different songs of Christmas, the sounds of Christmas, that we will not miss hearing you. And the real story that God has come for us, that you came for us and that you have saved us. Thanks for your grace. Help us to be agents of that grace this season. We pray this in your blessed name. Amen.